one of our family traditions that I guess it's we, we've done it most years in our house is to watch a, a Christmas movie around Christmas time, obviously, um, called White Christmas. Does anyone watch White Christmas? No. Oh man, then this illustration is gonna flop. Um, <laughs> I'm just—it's—it's it's an old movie with Bing Crosby, um, so it's—it's it's real old. But it's—it's it's the story of these these entertainers. Um, it's um, Wallace and um, now I can't even remember the name. I've, I'm flustered because no one even knows it. But these two entertainers and uh, there's there's these two sisters that are trying to make it big in the business. And at one part early on in the movie, they they tell a lie essentially. They say that one of the brother's old army buddies who is their uh, th their brother this is really going bad the the sisters send a letter to Wallace and Davis and say that their brother who was an old army pal wants them to come and watch their act so that they can make it big in the business and uh, they kind of they lie obviously and it, it comes out later on, and, and the response of one of the guys, Bob, is he just kind of laughs about it. it. It's not a big deal, he says, because everybody has an angle. That's the line. He says, everybody has an angle. Everyone's trying to work something. Everyone is, is trying to get something out of other people. Have you ever felt that way, I guess, is the, is the question. Have you ever felt used or uh, manipulated by someone else? You know, maybe someone shows up at your door and they're selling magazine subscriptions or candy bars. Uh, they, they have this script memorized and they seem to know every trick in the book about how to get $20 out of your pocket to help whatever cause that they are supporting. And, and it may be good, it may not, but sometimes you, you close the door and you feel like, you know, I feel like I just got used, like I was deceived or manipulated into doing something I really didn't want to do. Uh, maybe, Maybe it's a coworker that you have who's always asking you to cover a shift and, and, and they're, they're really good about it and, and, and you really want to do it out of the goodness of your heart, but sometimes you, you just feel like, you know, I feel like they're using me. They're manipulating me and I, I want to help, but sometimes I just don't know. It's just all for their benefit. Maybe we could think about it in the political realm. As you listen to a politician and you agree with everything that he's saying, but you just wonder, is he saying it just because I know I'm going to agree with everything that he's saying? Is he saying it only because he wants my vote, because he wants me to support him? He's courting my favor for his good, not for my good. Of course, if this would hit closer to home. It could be family. It could be that you feel used by your family, that they take advantage of you, that they're always trying to get you to side with them or to help them or to give them money. And you, you want to be kind and loving, but you just feel sometimes that your their motives are, are selfish, that you're being manipulated, you're being used. Or, or maybe, and this would hit really close to home, maybe we use people in this way. We're kind, we're persuasive, we're convincing, but... Our deep motive is simply that we want someone to follow us. We want someone to do something for our benefit alone, regardless of what happens to them. What a terrible thing it would be if people looked at the church that way, or the leadership of a church. And they said, they're just using me. They just are trying to manipulate me. What, what if you looked at your pastor's? And, and you said um, that they're more concerned about you following them and listening to them and liking them than they are concerned about you becoming like Christ. Maybe you find yourself uh, wondering if, if, if 
maybe I'm standing up here saying the things that I'm saying so that you'll feel some sort of unhealthy sense of loyalty to me or that that I'm trying to build some sort of kingdom for myself or that I have all the answers. And so you really, you got to follow me. If you don't follow me, then things are going to go poorly for you. It would be terrible to think these things about the church. It would be terrible, especially if they were true. And sadly, many pastors, many they, they, they treat their flocks this way. Many church leaders, many denominations, many religious leaders, many forms of religion are more concerned with using people for their benefit, for their purposes, for their ego boost, than for the good of the people that they are supposed to be serving and for the glory of God. Have you found this to be true? It would be a real cynical way to look at the world, and yet sometimes our cynicism is built on things that have happened. We have seen this happen. And here in Galatians 4, Paul teaches us through his example, this, he teaches us this, and I believe this is the main point of the passage. It's, it's that a leader who loves you labors for your good and God's glory, not theirs. I'll say that again. A leader who loves you labors for your good and God's glory, not theirs. There's so many different experiences that come into a room this size. Maybe you've been burned by the church and you think that all churches like that are like what I've talked about. They're all concerned mostly about themselves, about making people feel that they need them or about building big buildings and packing them out so that they can feel important or to force people to follow them. Like I said, that's cynical at times, but sometimes it seems true. And this morning, I hope that we can see a different way that the church can follow leaders, the different, a different way that we can lead other people to labor for the good of people and for the glory of God, not just so that the leader is lifted up. And there's a sense in which we are all leaders in this church. You remember that, that we are seeking as a church to say, there's someone that you have influence over. You are leading someone. There is someone that you are speaking truth into their lives. And you are leading them. And, and I just want to ask the question, are you doing it for your good so that they'll think you're great? Are you doing it so that they'll follow you and listen to everything that you say? Or are you doing it because you want to see Christ glorified, because you want their good, you want to see Christ formed in them? We're going to talk more about these things, but just to, to think that a, a leader who loves you labors for your good. And if you are a leader, you will love others and labor for their good and for the glory of God, not for yourself. Let's read Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20, and slowly work this idea out. Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. We looked briefly at verses 8 through 11 uh, last week, but we're going to use them to get into this passage as well. Paul writes, beginning in verse 8, However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. 
Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I want to offer a, a bit of extended context and, and, and background before we get into that main thought. So, so bear with me as we lead up to the kind of the main point, I think, of this passage. You'll remember that Paul has, throughout chapters 3 and 4, he's been talking about the truth of justification by faith alone. The truth that our acceptance before God, our hope for eternal life, is not rooted in what we do, but it's rooted in what Christ has done and faith in that. We've heard Paul's arguments from the promise that he made to Abraham. It was a promise, a plan of salvation that would never change. That he has always desired to save all nations by faith alone. And that God has saved us through Christ from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. You remember talking about that. Um, Paul also made it clear that, that the law does not change the promises that God made to Abraham. Remember, because God has made an unchangeable promise to save the world through Christ. Rather, the law reveals our sin. It reveals our need for Christ. The law imprisons us. It condemns us. While the message of the gospel shows us that faith in, by faith in Christ, we are children of Abraham. And then last week we saw, as children of Abraham, we are also children of God, heirs of all the blessings that God has given us. Now, with all these, these deep arguments, this, these intricate reasoning from scripture you might wonder if paul is just trying to win an argument if he's just trying to get the people in galatia to follow him theology can often be used as that way just as another battleground for me to say i'm right and and you're wrong but here in this passage we see that, that that's not what paul is about at all the reason that he's fighting for the galatians to understand justification by faith alone is because because he loves them you just see his heart almost explode here. The, the, the perplexity and the, and the fear and the, the, the words that he uses. His heart is for the Galatians. He, he loves them. And he expresses fear and dismay and confusion over what's happened to his friends in Galatia. If you can think about Paul like a father who maybe disciplines his children and, and he's harsh. He's, he comes down hard to help them see how serious this is. And if you if you're a father or a mother or a parent, you know that sometimes it we get you make it very clear this is serious. But then at times your heart breaks and you say, "I love this child," and that, that's that's where this is coming from. Paul Paul loves these who are his spiritual children in the faith, and he he cares for them, and he almost breaks down emotionally here. His his argument isn't something that's only coming from his head. It's exuding from his heart. And now he starts to reminisce. He starts to think back on their experience of salvation, as he'd done at the beginning of this chapter. You remember he talked about, I remember, you remember when the Spirit came, and now he, he starts to think, and he reminds them of their previous reception of the gospel. He reminds them of their previous reception of the gospel. And Paul, in fact, talks about their reception of him. 
their welcoming of him. The fact that, that he would have naturally been rejected by others, but that they had warmly embraced him. You see that? Let's read this again. He says, um, in verse 12, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you, you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Something was wrong with Paul physically. He had this bodily illness, some physical weakness, an ailment that actually had led him to Galatia. Some people have speculated what it could have been. Some people thought that Paul may have contracted malaria and that, and that he had gone to a higher climate, a higher, higher altitude in Galatia to, to help him recover. And that's why he ended up in Galatia. It's, it's hard to know if that's what was going on. Other people have said there was something wrong with Paul's eyes. We'll see at the end of Galatians that Paul says, you see what large letters I have written to you with. And some people say his eyesight was bad. And that's why he had to write in such large letters. And then the, the, the clue here might be where in verse 15 where he says, I, I remember how you were willing to even pull out your eyes and give them to me. That that's how much you cared for me. If, if an eye transplant was possible, you would have been a, a willing donor. Because my eyes were bad. It could be that. It could be that they're just showing uh, their their love for him. It could be unconnected with the illness. But whatever was wrong with Paul, his ailment is what led him to Galatia. And when he showed up, he showed up visibly weak and, and sickly. And most people would have rejected him. Remember, sickness is often associated with the curse of God. If you've been reading through uh, John with us, you remember we read John 9. And John 9, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, they say about the man born blind. Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin or the sin of his parents? And Jesus says, well, it was neither of that. It's for the glory of God. But some people would have looked at Paul and said, the curse of God is upon this guy because he's so sick and he's so weak. And so we're going to reject him. Most would have despised, they would have disdained him, they would have loathed him, is the, the word that I have here. It, it's a word that literally means to, to spit on or at someone out of contempt, or, or to ward off an, an evil spirit. So he says to the Galatians, he says, you, you didn't spit at me, you welcomed me. You welcomed me as if I was an angel of God, as if I was Christ Jesus himself. That's a welcome, if I've ever heard of one. And in fact, by welcoming Paul in such a way, they were they were welcoming Jesus. They were welcoming God himself. Remember what Jesus says to his followers. Matthew 1040, he says, He who receives you, speaking to the disciples, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Just as if you were to, to welcome a member of my family into your home, that would be a, a, like a welcoming of me, you're welcoming them because of their connection with me in the same way that welcoming one of God's adopted children, welcoming Paul, is a welcoming of God himself. So Paul, remember, he's reminding them of their previous reception of the gospel. And he points out how that reception was seen in the fact that they received Paul. But it was also seen in the fact that they rejected false gods. So we're thinking about their previous reception of the gospel. It's seen in that they received Paul, but it's also seen in that they rejected 
false gods. Look at that in in verses 8 through 11. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? We briefly saw this radical transformation that, that happened when the gospel exploded in, in Galatia. Paul came to this town that was enslaved to false gods, to gods who were no gods at all. And he came to the people and they were trapped by idol worship. They were imprisoned by these elemental demonic forces that had handcuffed them to serve false gods, gods made of wood and stone. But Paul comes and he preaches the gospel. He communicates the truth to them. He does it in words like this. This is from Acts 13, when he was preaching in Pisidian Antioch, which was a city in Galatia. And this is what he says to them. He says, at the end of a long message, he says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Paul comes in and he preaches the freedom that we can have in Christ, freedom from false gods. And it's as if those those handcuffs to these false gods break off and they they turn, they receive the gospel by rejecting false gods. And those who respond in faith, he says in verse 9, he says, they come to know God, rather, they come to be known by God. Look at that. He says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. God. If you've ever looked for a job, you've probably come to realize that it's not who you are, it's who you know. If you have a connection with someone that's high up in a company, then it doesn't really matter what your education is or or who what you're like. If you know this person, you, you can probably get a job. What's more important, though, than knowing that person is that they know you. When I worked at at Starbucks here in town, um, the the owner of Papa John's would come in sometimes to our Starbucks. It was my brief brush with fame, you know, recognized him from the commercials, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John. Um, I knew who he was. He was there. He'd be in our cafe sometimes or he'd be coming through the drive-thru. But if I walked into Papa John's headquarters and I said, tell John... I don't even know how to pronounce his last name, to be honest. I looked it up, but so that that would not go well for me right off the bat. But tell tell the papa that Andy Sabaka is here to apply for a job. He would probably say, well, tell Andy Sabaka to go to one of our local restaurants and fill out an application to be a delivery driver. Um, I may know him, but it really doesn't matter unless he knows me. You and I, we've come to know God through Christ, but more importantly, God knows us. You are known as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. If you've been forgiven of sins by faith in Jesus, by the blood of Christ, and you are now holy and righteous before him because of the holiness and the righteousness of Christ, then you are his adopted child. And if I walked into the throne room of God right now and I said, do you know fill in your name here, then God would say, oh yeah, I know them. That's my son. That's my daughter. We have been adopted by God. And it doesn't, it's good that we know God. But God knows us. 
And if God knows us, then we are his children. We are adopted by him. He cares for us. And and if all this is true, then Paul is in this state of exasperation because he says, he says, I saw with my own eyes, I saw your reception of the gospel. You received me in love, in spite of all my weakness, in spite of my bodily ailments, you loved me. You would have, you would have pulled out your own eyes and given them to me. You rejected all these false gods. You became known by God. You became freed from all these worthless elemental spirits, from these worthless gods that you were serving. And then he says, how is it that you have now returned to slavery? Their past reception of Christ made their present rejection of Christ astounding. It was something that he couldn't wrap his mind around. And it wasn't that they went back to foreign gods. Rather, they were adopting the teachings of these false teachers that had infiltrated in, and they were saying, now you need to keep holy days. You need to keep the Jewish calendar to be right before God. You see that in verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. That if they would keep that calendar, then Jesus would really love them. And God would truly be their father then if they kept the Sabbath and the, and the Passover and the year of Jubilee and the other laws that that is how they would come to know God and possibly be known by him. And Paul actually says there's really no difference between where they came from and where they were now. In both cases, they were resting on their works rather than resting in Christ. In both cases, they were enslaved to false gods. Any Any self-reliance any trusting in what I do is to enslave myself to elemental spirits, to reject the free grace of Christ. If you trust your church attendance or your Bible reading or your prayer life or your adherence to moral principles, then you are not trusting Christ. If you think that you, know, you keep a step ahead of all your friends morally, you don't do all the things that they do, then, then you're more accepted before God. If that's how you think, then, then you're no different than the idol worshipers who trusted in the law or trusted in their good works. Because you're not trusting in Christ alone, you're trusting in who you are. And to live in that way is to live in slavery to the law. It's to re-enslave yourself to these things that you think you need to do. It's to fail to see that before God, whatever we do doesn't matter. I'm not accepted before God because of what I do. And I'm not rejected by him because of what I don't do. Rather, I'm made right before God because I have come to be known by him, by faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's really not who you are. It has absolutely nothing to do with who you are. It has to do with who you know and who knows you. And if we know Christ, then we are known by God. So as Paul thinks on the past and, and the present, we see this, this pastoral heart, his, his love for the people of the church in Galatia. And with all that background in mind, we see this about Paul that he, he models in it. It's what we said at the beginning. Leaders who love you labor for your good and God's glory, not theirs. Leaders who love you labor for your good and God's glory, not theirs. In, in verse 17, Paul offers his, his most direct critique of the false teachers who had infiltrated Galatia. 
And he gets at the heart of who they are. Look at verse 17. They, that's speaking about the false teachers, the Judaizers, we could call them. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, not in a good way, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. These false teachers were working hard. They were working hard like Paul worked hard, but their motive was not Right, what they were doing is they were seeking hard, but they were seeking hard to get the Galatians to follow them and then exclude them, to push them out and to say, you're not doing all these things and you have to do all these things. And if you're not doing all these things, then you're not acceptable, accepted by God. But if you do these things, well, then follow us and we'll show you the right way to go. Their motive was not for the good of, Galat- of the Galatians. It was for the pride that they had. It was for their pride as Judaizers. The Galatians had been set free from the law, from enslavement to it, and now the false teachers came in and they were jealous and they were prideful and they had these greedy motives and they wanted to to bring the Galatians back into enslavement, not necessarily to the law as much as to them. They reflected the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Do you remember why the Pharisees were always upset with Jesus? A lot of times it was jealousy. Because everyone was following Jesus and they weren't following them. And the same thing happened when Paul went into Galatia. Again from Acts. This is when he was in Galatia. In Acts 13.45 it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. They saw people following Paul and they were jealous. And that's when they started contradicting what he said. Who knows if they ever gave it a good hearing. But they saw people are following Paul. If they're following Paul, that means they're not going to follow us. We've got to contradict this and tell them that Paul is wrong. I think that's at the heart of what Paul's saying here in verse 17, that they are seeking after you, but they just want you to follow them. They're not seeking your good. They're not seeking God's glory. They're seeking their good, and they're seeking their glory. If a leader labors and works hard to make you a follower of them more than a follower of Christ, then they do not love you. When a pastor or a teacher or a leader in the church, or even if it's just a friend, is more concerned about you following them than they are about you following Christ, then something is wrong. If they're jealous for themselves more than they are for the glory of God, then something is wrong. Of course, this is one of the dangers of any leadership, great or small. If you are in a discipleship relationship with someone, watch your motives. Are you more more concerned that they're following you, that they're listening to you? Does it boost your ego when they nod and smile, when you say smart things, and, and you just want to get them to follow you and listen to all the things that you're saying and attach them to you and say, well, don't listen to this person or this person. You need to listen to me. It's so easy to fall into that. It's so easy to be jealous for people to follow us. It's so easy for our pride to take over. So how do we labor for the good of the people that we're ministering to and for God's glory? I think the answer is found in verse 19. Paul says, My children, with whom I am again in labor, until Christ is formed in you. If we want to labor for the good of people and for the glory of God, then we must labor to see Christ formed in others. We must labor to see Christ 
formed in others. Paul never had an issue with talking about himself in terms of being like a mother. (laughs) He calls himself a nursing mother in Thessalonians. That's how he acted towards the Thessalonians. And here, he goes even further. He says that he is in labor pains with the Galatians. Labor pains, and actually labor pains for a second time. Now, I've never had labor pains ever in my life. I have seen them. And they do not look very enjoyable. Um, there's agony. There is desire for relief. And it seems that the only thing that gets someone through labor pains is that the thought that soon this baby will be born and it's going to be over. I remember with Noel, I think it was with Noel. My wife can correct me. But at one point in, in Andrea's labor, she had rested for a while and she got up and she said, I am ready for this baby to come out. <laughs> And about an hour later, I think the baby was out. She had determined the labor pains are over and we're getting the baby out. Paul says that that he went through this kind of pain. That's the the word that he used. It's, It's the word for labor pains, seeking to release the Galatians from enslavement to false gods. And now he says, I'm having to go through labor again. Now, if you've had a child... And you've gone through the labor pains. And someone said, would you like to do that again? (laughs) I think most women would say, no, I would not like to do that again. And Paul's saying, I'm having to labor again, a second time. I already released you from these things. Do I have to labor once more? Do I have to go through all of this again? He says the labor will only be over when Christ is formed in them. It's a mixed metaphor, actually. That word for form is the same word about a baby being formed in in the womb. So I I don't think there's any real connection. I just think that that's it's unique. He kind of talks about having labor, and then he talks about a a baby being formed in the womb, this child being being formed. And Paul says that the purpose, the goal, the the reason that he's laboring and the reason that he is willing to go through this, this painful work is... Because he wants Christ to be formed within those who are his. Have you ever thought about your growth in Christ-likeness like that? That it's, it's as if Christ is being formed within you like a child is formed in the womb of a mother? I'll be honest, I've never thought about my discipleship that way except for what this passage says. But it makes sense, especially as he's talking to the Galatians. Remember, what was the problem? They were focused on outward things. They said, we have to do this or not do this. We have to keep this festival and not eat this. We must be circumcised. They're so focused on the outward. And Paul says, no, the problem is that Christ needs to be formed within you. And if Christ is formed within you and the Holy Spirit is living within you, then it takes care of all of this outward stuff. It's not about what you do. It's, it is Christ being formed in you. And if Christ is being formed in you, then every part of you will change. Paul then says some of the ways that he was doing this, some of the ways that he was laboring to see this happen. And then one of the ways was by speaking the truth. By speaking the truth, you look at at the end, um, I'm sorry, at verse 16, he says, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul didn't shy away from saying what needed to be said 
to the Galatians, one of the things that he says in verse 11 is, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. What Paul is saying is, you're going back to these things. that I'm scared that you never came to Christ in the first place. When was the last time you said that to someone? That's a bold statement to make. But if it's the truth, then it's a loving statement that needs to be made. We must be bold in proclaiming the truth, always with love. But we should never blunt the sharp edges of the truth if they need to be said. Paul was concerned, and he was concerned for the very souls of these people that he loved. And he wondered, all the way to the point of saying, are you true followers of Christ? I'm scared. That's the word. I, I fear for you that all my work has been in vain. There are hard things that we need to be willing to say to one another. God has given you a place of respect in a person's life, and you see somewhere where they need to be corrected, it's unloving to not say it. It's poor leadership to not say it. What you're doing by not saying it is showing that you are not laboring for their good and the glory of Christ. You're more worried that they are following you. Because if I say that, well, then they might not follow me because that's pretty harsh. And if they reject me, I, I don't know if I can handle that. If that's the way we think about those that we love, then we're more concerned about ourselves than we are about their good and the glory of Christ. I, I say that, and it sounds like it's just rolling off my tongue. I'm not saying that is easy at all. Many of us have known situations where we've seen people and we do wonder. You, you wonder to the point of saying, you know, they are professing to be a follower of Christ, but I do not see any fruits in their life of that. And I, I'm scared. But we keep our mouths shut because it's so hard to bring up to say. And we do need to be careful with that. You don't want to go around saying you're not a Christian because you did this. That's a very bad idea. But if we love someone and we know them and we think this is the truth that they need to hear, and I'm the only one that can say it, then we have to say it. It's unloving not to. Speaking the truth doesn't always win friends. But if we're seeking to honor God, and if they are seeking to honor God, then they will see our hearts and they will hopefully realize that what they're in is, is wrong. That's a whole other topic. How do we speak the truth in love? How do we say the hard things to people that they need to hear? Again, that's a whole other topic. But the principle is here that Paul was willing to do it. Why? Because he loved them and he he didn't care whether they were following him, whether they liked him. His concern was for their souls. His concern was for the glory of Christ and for their good. So how do we labor to see Christ formed in others? We do it by speaking the truth. And then just one other, I somewhat infer from this, is by being present whenever possible. By being present whenever possible. You look at verse 18, he says, But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am present with you, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. Paul Paul loved the believers in Galatia, and he longed to be with them. He didn't want his influence to be something that was excluded to when he was there. And, and it didn't exist when he was absent. 
But but his great desire was to be with his friends, to be with his family in Galatia. There's something about physical presence with someone. But Paul talks about this all the time. I want to travel and to be with you. You see this in all his, his letters. I wish that, that you were here with me or that I was there with you. In an age that's very connected by lots of technology, by email and text messages and Facebook and phone calls, and in an age that's so connected, sometimes we are very disconnected from people. And I think part of the problem is that we're not physically present with one another. When we're, when we're with one another, when we are physically there, there's this unique ministry that can happen. I think that's what Paul is talking about. And, and speaking the truth in love and, and showing a love for people, it, it just doesn't work well by email. If you're going to speak the truth in love to someone, here's some advice. Don't send an email. Don't post it on their Facebook wall. Don't send them a text. If you have to, if it's only by phone, okay, that's good. But if you can get face to face with someone, there is deep ministry that can happen just because of physical presence with people. We need to make being with one another as a church, not just on on Sundays, but throughout the week. We need to make this a priority because there's a kind of ministry that can only happen when we are physically present with one another. Paul says, I'm writing this letter. I wish I could be there. I wish I could just talk to you guys. Have you felt that? I felt that so many times. You know, much of my family is in Ohio and my wife's family is in Illinois and they've gone through good times and, and bad times. I can remember when, when my grandmother was sick and, and when she uh, later, it was about a three month battle with cancer and, and she died. And I just remember I wanted to be there because I, I heard about it and I call on the phone and, and they were there, but I, I couldn't be there and I wanted so much to be there. Because to be in the presence of someone is different than picking up a phone or, or writing a letter. They're all good. But Grace, if we, if we could make it a priority to be with one another. I know, oh, our lives are busy, aren't they? It's so hard sometimes. But if we could just find a way to, to be in each other's presence, to see Christ formed in one another, I think that that would that would help us. So let me give you that main point again. Leaders who love you labor for your good and God's glory, not theirs. I've been convicted by this passage this week. You know, God has been working in my heart in just a lack of zeal in pastoral care. You know, in the midst of all of the building stuff and getting things organized, I just felt that that was was slipping and I talked to some friends and uh, you mentioned it to Paul. I said, pray for me on this. And uh, and then God brought this passage this week to say, Andy, do you, do you labor? Do you labor like a mother having a child to see Christ formed in the people of Grace Fellowship Church? And, and I will say that I confess to God, I said, I, I, I have not. I've not worked in that way. I've not been at pain in that way. Know that it's, it hasn't been in my actions, but it's in my heart. Know that, that my desire is not, I do not want to be like the people in, in verse 17. I can, I say that before you all, and I know that that is the heart of the other elders of Paul and of Joel. We do not want to seek you out 
so that you will follow us. We do not want to seek you out so that you will be dependent upon us. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. That is our desire, is to see Christ formed in you, to, to walk this journey together, to see you become more like Jesus, not more like me or more like Paul, unless we are more like Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I think that's a, that, that is commendable. But if, if I want you to follow me so that you'll be like me, well, no one would follow me because no one wants to be like me. We want to be like Jesus. Our desire as leaders is, is that you would be formed into the image of Christ. And not only that, but that Christ would be formed in you. We desire to speak the truth in love when we need to. Not because we are angry, not because we don't love you, but because we do. And if you need to hear the truth, then we want to speak it if possible. I want to be with you all. That's so, like I said, it's so hard in our society. I know, and everyone, this church works hard. <laughs> I don't think it's opposed to any other church, but we have hardworking people in our church that work long hours and odd hours and it's difficult, but know that I want to be with you. And, and if we can, if we can do that, if we can gather together, not, not just with me, but you all with one another, one of, one of the things on my heart as we finally settle this whole building thing and get it done with so we can just get in there is, is let's get these, some small groups started back up. Why? So we can be with one another. So that we can love one another and lead one another and see Christ formed in one another. We have to be with each other and, and know that that is, that is my heart. And I confess before you, I have not labored like I should, but I'm praying that God would give me a heart like Paul, that I would, I would be willing to, to speak the truth, that I would desire to be with you all, and that, that Christ would be formed in you. But I also want to say this. This isn't just for me. Allow this to sink down deep in your hearts. What is your goal for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you desire for Christ to be formed in them? Do you desire to speak the truth and love to those that you have influence over? Are you physically present with people on a week-in, week-out basis as much as is possible to, to speak the truth? I believe that's what Paul is encouraging us to do. He says, don't be like the Judaizers, which are just trying to get people to follow them. But if we all, if all of us together, what would happen if we all labored, if we were all at pains to see Christ formed in each other. If it wasn't something where it's like, well, Andy's got to be in labor or Paul's got to be in labor or Joel's got to be in labor, but we all said we all love each other so much that we are all in labor to see Christ formed and we'll speak the truth in love and we'll get together as much as we need to. And I'll tell someone the hard truth that they need to hear if they need to hear it. If we were all doing that, what would happen? I, Christ would be formed in us. Christ would, would be formed and we would it would overflow in outward action. It would overflow in our lives. It would overflow in our church. We were intensely focused, not on outward behavior, but on inward formation, on Christ in us and in one another. Paul, uh, you see his heart here. He thinks back to who the Galatians were, the love that they had for him, and the way that they rejected their false gods. But then they were in this state, and he just, his heart broke over them because 
because he loved them. He didn't care whether they followed him or not. He didn't care whether they even liked him. He just wanted that Christ to be formed in them. Is that our desire for one another? I, I confess before you, that is my desire for Grace Fellowship Church, that Christ would be formed in us. God forbid that I ever stand up here and give you a list of rules to do. Rather that we would say, let Christ be formed in you. And if Christ is formed in us, then we will walk in the way that we need to. And I pray that, that God would take this truth and let it sink down in you. And you would say, I desire that for myself, but I desire it for my brothers and sisters who are here. And I will do whatever it takes. I'll say whatever I need to say and do whatever I need to do to see Christ formed in others. Leaders who love you, labor for your good and for God's glory, not theirs. What are you laboring for this morning?